Hello and welcome to Off the Water, the podcast brought to you from the National Governing Body, RYA Scotland. I'm Mark Turner and I'm hosting this episode alongside our board sailing guru, Robin Nicholl, as we find out about the one aspect of our sport that's been adapting and meet a family with a real passion for windsurfing. Yeah, hello, Mark. Yes, I'm very much taken to the air and waves in this episode as I speak to Lock Inches' Isla Watson and her mum, Kim, about their experiences of competition and the recent silver medal Isla won as part of the British sailing team. I'm super excited to share this one with our listeners. Before we start, a wee disclaimer. These are the thoughts of our own and our guests. If you have any comments or complaints, please drop us an email to podcast at rya.scotland.org.uk. We've had some very positive feedback as part of a recent survey on the subjects we've covered and the ideas for future episodes. There's a link in the bio for our pod survey, which closes at the end of the month with a dry bag up for grabs. So do take a moment and share your thoughts. Robin and I have taken over this week as our team get to grips with the latest guidance and we see an unwelcome return of the global pandemic. Please do keep an eye on our website and social channels for the latest updates and we hope this podcast can provide some respite to these uncertain times. Yeah, the podcast has been quite a journey and it's great to be focusing on a sporting journey in which I can say I've had to be part to play in. So I'm very pleased to have caught up with Isla Watson and her mum Kim about their journey in windsurfing and where they are now. Hello, so Isla and Kim Watson, um, it's great to have you here and to share your journey. I um, obviously have been part of this journey, very small part, but from UK events, Scottish events uh, and international events, it's uh, it's been a privilege to be uh, hanging about with you guys on your journey. And what's always intrigues me is, you know, how did you get into windsurfing? Where, where did it all start for you, Isla? I've been windsurfing since I was maybe about nine nine or ten so a little while now uh started windsurfing at lock inch on on saturdays i think just like as a extra little thing uh super grand took us to lock inch to do uh windsurfing and other water sports bits kind of just started like anything we could get into and then it kind of just went from there we went more and more and then we kind of got into doing little events up in scotland team 15 events that's where we met all the all the guys like uh like Robin and Jude and started doing more and more events and hanging out with everyone and then kind of got roped into doing doing bigger events and going further afield and it kind of just went on from there and now now we're here doing doing all the events yeah it's been it's been a fair journey both physically and uh, and I would imagine quite uh, a lot of it would be mentally as well it's been a long way from Lock Inch to Lakes of Lake Garda been out on the international stage for quite some time and I, I'm curious to know, you know, what motivates you? What what gets you excited about windsurfing? What is it that drives you to jump on the board, regardless of whether it's three knots or 25 knots? Well, it's always just kind of been for the fun. Like, we didn't start windsurfing at Lockinch because we wanted to race or compete or anything or go to the Olympics. We didn't even particularly know that was a thing. We just kind of did it for the enjoyment and all the people who do it as well, like, all your friends and stuff it's kind of just a social thing more than anything and then I guess kind of just carried on I think if you didn't really enjoy it it would be a bit of a challenge because some some days you're you know it's blowing 25 knots and it's raining and it's three degrees so I think if you if you don't enjoy it you can't do it but also I just love the racing side of it like I love competing and kind of challenging myself and racing against other people so I think it's a combination of those things but luckily now with foiling we don't have to go out in three knots so that's a bit bit there 
Yeah, it's a, a big change over to foiling of late. Um, we'll come on to that uh, later on. But just before we, we kind of move on, I'm curious to know, Kim, you know, what was your motivation for introducing both Isla and Erin into windsurfing? We, well, <laughs> to start with, like Isla said, it was it was Granny Dot that, that took them. We were working and it was just something that she did on a Saturday with them. And then I had no choice. <laughs> Granny Dot told me to. <laughs> no, for, for me, it was about the, the, the travelling. I actually really enjoyed that. For some people, that would be something that was a negative. For me, it was always a positive. I love to go down to the south of England and to the good weather and sit on a beach. You know, who's going to complain about that? I was always quite happy with the, the weekend trips away. So, yeah, I was happy to do it. Yeah, I mean, those trips certainly became legendary. There's a lot, a lot of long weekends for us. I always remember you guys leaving three, four hours before us to uh, get to the event at the same time. Uh, and I'll never forget talking to some of the South Coasters who were absolutely flabbergasted that you guys came from Abbey Moor. You know, once they looked at the map and saw the mileage, they were just like, are you doing that in a weekend? How can you manage that? But uh, yeah, I, and it's worth mentioning, you've both mentioned Super Grand. Dot, the, inf the famous Dot, who is very dear to all our Scottish windsurfers, um, soul of the party in many occasions. Tell me a little bit around, you know, the impact for both of you, I suppose, uh, from, from Dot on your journey. Obviously, she got us into windsurfing in the first place and kind of was the only reason that we could go on weekends and after school and stuff and do all the do all the things and she was kind of the one who like kept us going and stuff and uh, took us to a lot of things and Obviously now she lives on Portland and I'm staying there right now and I stay there most of the time and that's kind of the only reason I could be down here full-time training that I have been the last couple of years. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty big. <laughs> Kim, I mean, obviously it's your mum, had a big influence on your life. What, what, what's your view on, on Supergran and her ability to keep everybody motivated? Yeah, okay. she loved it. I think she loved it the same as I did. She loved the weekends away and things like that. She was also a massive financial help, always chipping in, you know, even if it was just petrol, if it was kit, she always helped the girls with that. We're, we're, we're not the, <laughs> the rich family, so yeah, it was always a, a, a joint effort. And uh, yeah, she just loved it. I think she, she misses the weekends camping and things like that as well. She, she was always happy to chip in and take Isla to, to France or whatever, you know, she's she's been awesome. And we certainly wouldn't have done it, couldn't have done it without her. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that I don't think my daughter would have jumped in and got involved if it hadn't been for you guys. The influence that Dot had on uh, the kids was fantastic, and not just, but the parents as well. She was, uh, she was a breath of fresh air uh, in a lot of these events. Great to see that Dot's still down there and, and helping out with uh, with Isla. Obviously, that was a big you know, aspect of the support from both of you towards both girls, Isla and Erin in terms of the development in the windsurfing programme. With Dot being in the South Coast, Isla, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's really, it's been really nice. Like, obviously, there's always someone there, like, because we live together and there's always someone there, like, when you come home and it's kind of just quite nice to have. Because obviously she's always been a big part of windsurfing journey, so it's nice that she's down here and so involved and obviously not not a lot of grands would do that, so it's pretty cool. Hence the name Super Gran, because that's definitely what she is for you guys. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm going to move on slightly. You know, Kim, you and I have had um, 
our ups and downs with our children in the performance programme, uh, the trials and tribulations, if you like. Did you ever expect the highs and lows of this journey you've been on so far? No, like I was said in the beginning, we never really started it for it with anything in mind. It was just for fun. Um, people always said, oh, but, you know, what a lot of money, you know, all these things. Do you not regret it? And no matter when it ends for either of the girls, I, we won't have any regrets on the journey. Obviously, there are some things, you know, when they're sad and they don't do well or, you know, they're 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 down. And that, that affects me. I'm just mum at the end of the day. Um, but for the most part, for the journey, I wouldn't I don't regret anything. I think it's a fantastic pathway and it's been a fantastic thing to do just for them as individuals. I think we all kind of take forward in our adult life things that we learn as children. And I think for these guys, they've got a, an epic grounding in, in sport and I think they'll have that forever. Yeah, I, I must agree. It's, it has been great to see the girls develop throughout their windsurfing careers um, and how they've diversified into different things, how they apply it to life. That is really pleasant to see. But you, like me, have watched your children struggle at times. That challenge that we place our children in, does it does it stack up at the end of the day for you? Do you feel like it's been worth the challenge? <laughs> yeah, when we were in a <laughs> when we've been in a tent with two girls <laughs> fighting or distraught or unhappy and things like that, has that been have you felt in the moment that that was great? No. But uh yeah, I mean these these are these are blips I think. For the most part it's been a happy journey. And yes, I don't think that any of them would say that it wasn't all worth it. Yeah, I think both Erin and Isla would agree that it's been what they've been all about for their teenage lives. It kept, if, if for just the basics, it's kept them out of trouble. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't have time to waste on, on other things. They were really very dedicated and it was the thing that they were most into. And I think a lot of the time you lose kids to other things, you know, nights out and, you know, friends locally and things. And the girls just were never distracted from their windsurfing. The friends they had that they visited on the pathway, you know, the guys that they met up on the weekends were way more important to them than the, the, the friends they had at home, really. So, yeah, I think they lived for the windsurfing and I don't think there could ever be any regrets for them. Yeah, friendships is a, is a big, strong theme that we, we always promote within our sports. However, I do believe that when suffering there's a, there's a certain kinship um, with fellow participants, whether it be recreational or, or performance-based, and it, it definitely helps when uh, you're hanging out with like-minded people. Of course, that's for every sport. They understood each other. They understood what they go through on the water. They understood the excitement that they get out there, which you can't really explain to anybody else. So it's only people that live it and do it that understand how they love it yeah it's very true very true it, it is uniquely difficult to explain what what is the passion that sits behind windsurfing in any of its forms whether it be wave sailing or, or foiling you know one extreme to the other i suppose if there was one piece of advice you would like to pass on or, or could give to another parent considering getting involved in the performance program you know what would it be it's funny because i remember my brother had been on the pathway with his son Jack and Aaron first was asked to go in to try out for, for youth squad his advice to me was don't do it or junior it was junior squad back in the day he was like don't do it it's it's you know it's expensive it's difficult and at the same time as he said don't do it he said I know you're not going to listen to me because I wouldn't have listened 
I did it. You're going to do it. That's just the way it is. And I think, but I think it takes a special kind of parent. So it takes a special kind of family. You've got to have the kids that want to do it and you've got to want to travel yourself. So I've seen lots of parents come through uh, Lockinch and you can see that some of them just wouldn't even consider the travel and <laughs> the chaos and the giving up their own weekends and things like that. And then you see other parents, a lot of them that are coming through now, that seem to be very keen to go and sleep in the back of a van for the weekend. And I would say, if you're willing to go and sleep in the back of a van for a weekend, then enjoy. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a commitment. Let's not lie about it. Um, it's um, yeah, it can be a bit of a challenge, but uh, yeah, I'd agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. You know, if you're willing to give up the time, go for the experience, and join the fun, and um, because a lot of it was fun, you know, uh, whilst there was trials and tribulations, for example. Um, trying to navigate through Latvia in the dark of night. I seem to recall we were all in a bit of an escapade there. But, you know, the, these these are the bits you remember. These are the bits that actually you look back upon as being quite funny. But the amount of nights that we had, which were, and daytimes, which were entertaining, jokes, laughter, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, Isla, if you had one tip for your younger self, what would you say to yourself? That's difficult. Not that old, you know, Robin. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I guess don't. Don't take it too seriously. Like I remember getting disproportionately stressed out about some like small event or obviously it felt like a big event back then, but any kind of event or training or anything that if you weren't doing well, like it's really just for the fun at that stage. And it like even now, like it's just for the fun. So I guess don't take it too seriously. Like, yeah, like it's not gonna matter in the long term. Just have just have fun like you know a lot of it was fun but there was definitely a lot of stress and upset and stuff and that's not the stuff you remember but obviously like at the time it's a bit you know it could be off-putting I guess if you put too much pressure on yourself so yeah sounds good yeah keep it fun it's um it's one of the hardest things as an athlete to do is to keep it fun Mm. as you know uh, because sometimes it gets a bit intense so you started at Lockinch you started competing uh, on the UK stage really early in comparison uh, and you were part of I think a team of six or seven that traveled consistently across the UK and subsequently you know you all at one point ended up in the junior squad uh, and then subsequently most of you ended up going through to RSX. Um, now obviously RSX was fairly short-lived uh, in, in terms of your time within it um, but now you've moved into the new Olympic class. What's that like? It's funny because it's quite similar to to what we had in the beginning when we were all we were all on techno and we were kind of just all training together and helping each other out and having fun. Like it's obviously a very new discipline, so the group that we have right now down here is really big because we want to kind of have that big group environment and kind of cooperative training because obviously you don't want to cut the cut the group down um at the beginning so it's kind of similar to that it's kind of just we're all down here having fun like it's a really big group it's not too competitive at the moment um yeah it's really fun and it's exciting because obviously it's the very beginning so don't know what's going to happen 
Yeah, it's quite exciting. Um, and you recently, for those listeners that haven't had the opportunity to catch up with Windsurfing, were very successful in the inaugural IQ Foil event. Tell us a little bit about that. And Watson is flying down this reach and controlling second place. Could she get on the medal? She's going to at this rate. This would be a great race for the young Scottish rider. Yeah, that was great. We um, just a few weeks ago got back from uh, Lake Silverplana in Switzerland, where the first ever IQ Foil European Championships was held. And uh, obviously, none of us had done a international event before. We hadn't raced or sailed against anyone from any other country since we started foiling. So obviously, went in with quite little expectations. Like, had no idea how the rest of the field were gonna be. And yeah, turned out that big group environment and all the training we've done had really paid off. And I think the British sailing team have done a great thing just getting as many people as they possibly can into foiling and uh, training and stuff. So, yeah, that was very cool. Bit of a confidence booster for everyone, I think, in the team. So, yeah, it was great. Isla Watson from Scotland. Come on. Now, you've been very modest here, Isla, uh, which is very (laughs) apt for you, let's be honest. But uh, (laughs) let's just tell listeners, what position did you get in your first ever event uh, for foil? came second in the end. I got uh, a silver medal in the women's division, so that was very cool. You, you certainly did, and it was <laughs> it was very exciting. Um, your your mum and I were very excited. Um, at different parts of the country shouting at our computer screens. <laughs> I've um, heard that from a lot of people, yeah. In the first ever IQ Foil class for 2020, amazing silver medal for Isla Watson from Scotland. Lockins go crazy. Yeah, yeah. I was I was sitting here with work in one screen and you in the other, or at times not on your screen because you weren't in picture, but it, it was pretty on the edge of my seat stuff. Kim, for you, I mean, obviously the highs and lows that we've had over the years, what was it like watching Isla um, in those final stages? It was amazing. Never seen her like that before, and it was just so exciting. It was a bit too much. I was I was actually at work, and all work had stopped so that everybody could watch it, and I did feel quite sick. So <laughs> <But>, did I. <laughs> you certainly kept us on our toes, Isla, with not being there, being there, all the rest of it. But yeah, it was it was amazing. I've watched it back a couple of times. I'm particularly. Uh, proud of uh, my very shy Isla's interview at the end, because for me, that's what Isla, to, to me, I'm very proud of the fact that she's come such a long way because she was a very, very shy uh, girl. And now to see her with that confidence, that's amazing for me. Got the yeah. sun out, the wind's blowing. I know. Isla Watson is uh, the silver medalist. <laughs> Brilliant, nice stuff. Yeah, it was it was quite emotional having for many of us who have worked with you quite an emotional uh, episode. I think the commentary from Ben Prophet only added to the motivation and excitement. <laughs> Terrible Scottish accent. Yeah. Come on, we got the Scottish in here. <laughs> it, 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 well, apart from the terrible Scottish accent, but in that final race, because the format they decided to mix it up a little, didn't they? So as you rolled into, what was it, the last 12, it was a knockout. So uh, they had sort of three rounds where the the last four sailors in each heat were knocked out, which meant that uh, it got quite exciting because you had a few close scrapes in there, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I went from like last, first to last. It was, yeah, I was almost out in the first round. So it was very stressful because we went from working really hard all week to get as good a result as we could. And then it went to zero points again on the last day. 
so it was I think everyone was very stressed even before we started and uh yeah it was it was very up and down and as Kim says she felt sick I felt sick for the whole time and it was like an hour and a half <laughs> so yeah it was yeah very nerve-wracking now something that you've maybe been able to watch back but in the final so there's four of you racing and your three other competitors decided to hug the sort of windward end of the line because they were doing slalom you disappeared off downwind uh, and the commentary got quite stressful for us because all it was was <laughs> we think Isla's made a muck-up of the start and she was not on camera but then rolling into the first mark where did you you popped out in second place yeah just scraped around there um i think the ca- the angles were a bit strange and everyone on the beach said that as well they were like you were so far behind but i kind of just wanted to get foiling and away from everyone so i kind of picked the bottom end of the line so i could have a good upwind angle to the mark and it kind of worked out it could have went either way like as you say i wasn't on screen for the first half of the first leg but um yeah it worked out in the end i think maybe just a bit of space from everyone was good and i uh, had you know unlocked some speed from somewhere so yeah went went all right <laughs> just to move on a little foiling now to most of the listeners that's might be like flying spaceships or equivalent you you made a comment in one of your interviews that i've seen where you described it either like windsurfing in the third dimension or the fourth dimension now this intrigued me could you give us a little bit of insight as to what you mean by that well, yeah, I think I think I might have said it's like windsurfing, but in 3D. And obviously, actually, life is in 3D anyway. But what I meant was, like, in normal windsurfing, you have to worry about kind of where you are on the water and just kind of going in a straight line. But in foiling, it's kind of like that. But also, you have to worry about how high in space you are. So kind of how high you fly on the foil is kind of dictated by your foot pressure and kind of where you're standing on the board and stuff. But yeah, you kind of have to be always focused, I think. Uh, whereas windsurfing, if, you, if you're if you a decent at it, you can kind of just, like, playing along, think about other stuff, sing a song, like... But with foiling, I feel like if you're not focused, then you're you're out of there, you know? Yeah, have to think about all directions. You know, you're a very experienced windsurfer, you know? For somebody like yourself, transitioning on to foils from CRSA, was it was it easy or was it was it quite a challenge? Um, well... I wouldn't say it was I wouldn't say it was easy because definitely at the start it felt like a totally different sport like as you like progress it gets closer and closer to windsurfing again so it kind of just feels like you're you're windsurfing but at the start it's you have no idea it's just baffling you're going up and down and crashing all over the place and you just can't seem to make it go in a straight line so it definitely wasn't easy but I feel like if you're a competent windsurfer then you'll kind of pick it up quite easily. Like it's a lot of the same concepts, but like kind of the opposite. So like, yeah, I think a lot of us that had already done RSX and the pathway and stuff picked it up relatively quickly, but there was a lot of crashing in the first few, in the first few months and a lot of frustrated uphauling and huffing and, <laughs> you know, sore, sore arms and stuff. But yeah, relatively quickly picked it up, obviously, because we're here now and we're, we're all kind of pretty competent and racing at the top of the fleet internationally. So it was definitely a steep learning curve, for sure. Yeah, it can be a bit of a challenge when we when we have a fundamental change in kit and equipment that we're going to use. For you, Kim, the introduction of the IQ foil, this is the direction that, you know, Olympic windsurfing is going to go in. Did it fill you with 
joy or complete fear as a dread. As a <laughs> dread. Mm -hmm. I um, yeah, I think initially you just wished it would just stay the way it was because we had some of that kit already. So yeah, <laughs> the easy option. Where's the kit going to come from? How's it going to, you know, how are they going to manage? Is it, you know, is this the, is this an, an abrupt end for them? Because, you know, if you can't afford the kit, there's no second hand kit, it's going to be very difficult. So all those things, I think it must've been difficult for Isla thinking about it. I must've, it was difficult for us as a family and obviously for Erin who's at university, my other daughter, it was difficult for her as well because yeah, she's now way behind and that was just the goal really. But uh, Isla, Isla had made the, the, the call to ditch uni and to, go full time so she was supported and that made it possible i think without her being supported it wouldn't be an option certainly wouldn't be an easy option dread <laughs> i mean it, it certainly can be fast and furious and you know just just to go back slightly to the the first international event isla what was it like being on the start line with so many foilers i mean because it's manic enough with a fleet of say 60 or 80 kicking about the back. But I'm curious to know about the foils because the one thing that maybe listeners don't appreciate is the fact that foils are pretty much silent. I'm just curious to know, what, what, did that put you off or were you, or you have got a heightened sense of awareness when you're on the line? What's it like? It was, it was, it was mad. I feel like there was no preparing for going out there and kind of being dumped into a fleet of so many foilers. Like, yeah, the adrenaline was was mad because it was just terrifying the whole the whole time terrifying i can't imagine what the boy fleet was like because they had such a big fleet that they were just whizzing around crashing because it's such a small lake like we only had a fleet of i think it was 35 maybe which is quite small for like women's olympic windsurfing but it was still it still felt really big because there's just so many people around you and i i remember back in maybe like february march time when we were learning we we were all saying to each other, I don't see how we're going to get to a stage where we can go off the start line with other people in like, you know, half a year's time. I just don't see how that's going to happen because we were all still trying to control ourselves, never mind people around us. So, yeah, it's we've come a long way from there, but it's still you're kind of just worrying about yourself and where you are in space and not crashing on your own. So not crashing into other people is a whole other thing. Yeah, trying to trying to race and win races, but also just trying to not crash was one of the main focuses. So yeah, it was surreal and like nothing, like no other event I've ever done before. It was, I think, just ten times more exciting. I think that was kind of the general opinion of everyone that was there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did look fantastic. I did see a, a little snippet of the marathon that they ran. Looked yeah, I stayed away from that. I didn't do it. <laughs> It's a, it's a large lake, but it's not that big. <laughs> Certainly from Andy Brown as well, we heard back that uh, he thought the starts were absolutely manic and the and the men's fleet just... Really, yeah, they uh, were just crashing left, right and centre. I would not have liked to be a man at that event, to be honest. <laughs> Looked terrifying. Andy Brown himself was responsible for destroying many pieces of equipment, his own and other people's. <laughs> just like well, crashing I, I a lot. Like I wouldn't like to point out that he's been doing that for his whole career. Um, <laughs> yeah, know, well, I don't know that. whose idea it was to put him on a foil. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Chaos, I think, is what we called him yeah. when he was at Techno Fleet. Was that not his yeah. uh, face? That was like one that. of them, yeah. <laughs> what are you, some kind of nut? 
Who do you think you are? Dun, dun, dun! I am Captain Chaos. So, obviously, I mean, you've had success in the world stage, you've had success in the European stage, um, as you move through some of the fleets. What's your, you know, you're kind of getting to the, what can only be described as the real sharp end of performance program. What, um, what do you think's next? What would you, what would you like to aim for next? Uh, well, hopefully the Worlds in October goes ahead, because um, we are supposed to be going to Lake Garda for the World Championships. So that'll be another good opportunity to kind of measure where where I am against against the rest of the world. But I guess looking forward to next year, I think hopefully Corona backs off a little bit and we can uh, get kind of the whole world back racing again because I think that contributed a lot to the smaller fleet size in Silvaplana, especially for the women. There was fewer than there usually would have been. I think people are a bit still apprehensive of travelling and stuff. So I think once we have a, a full fleet of people and once Tokyo is finished and everyone's uh, jumped on the foil, it'll kind of just be a case of measuring where I am against everyone and going from there, kind of aiming for more medals in the near future, I suppose. Depends depends how it goes, but yeah. So for me, that that's indicative of you, your mum and super granddaughter and the way that we all looked upon our journeys through this, which was, you know, each bit at a time, just keep plugging away and see where we get to. Um, and, you know, it's just a journey that we're on. And uh, it's fantastic to hear your journey. Uh, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed listening to cool. what, you've, what you've been saying. It's uh, Yes, we've enjoyed the journey with all of you. Kyla said about the group ball training down in Weymouth, the group that we had coming through in Scotland was the motivation and was the help that everybody needed to be able to keep going and succeed because if somebody couldn't get to an event, somebody would you know, call up and say, I'll take them, I'll take the kit. You know, it was always a it was always a joint effort and it was I mean that's what made it possible. Just like I say, Super Grand made it possible, you guys made it possible as well, because they wouldn't have gotten to half the events if we'd all just worked as individuals. The fact that we worked as a team meant that they all got to the maximum amount of events. So yeah, it worked. Certainly did. Certainly did. It's been a great journey. Thank you very much for uh, letting me be part of it. And uh, hopefully many more journeys to come. Speak to you soon. Yes. Thank Thanks you very much for inviting us. Wow, that was uh, a really inspiring interview there. And like many aspects of the boating community, the windsurfers bring their own special mix and diversity. It was really cool to hear the backstory of their recent success for Isla on the international stage in such a new and exciting class. How can I be more like Ben Prophet when I'm doing this? How do I get started, Robin? <laughs> well, um, Mark, yeah, it's um, it's definitely an exciting sport. Um, we have a, a variety of opportunities in, in Scotland. We have a, a Team 15 programme, which is uh, for young upcoming uh, windsurfers. Uh, and what's lovely about Team 15, it's, it's all based around sort of club activities. So we have a variety of clubs in Scotland, uh, which you can engage with, uh, both in the sort of south up through to the northeast. Log on to RYA uh, and go to Where's My Nearest to find your local windsurfing facility. There's lots of opportunities from club and training centres, um, and we can point in the right direction how to get involved in what is ultimately the best sport in the world. 
Yeah, I, I hear you in that, Robin. And uh, yeah, I also heard that you were going to be a judge this year at international competition I'm up in the Tyree Wave Classic. Unfortunately, it was uh, also affected by uh, COVID and has been postponed this year. But can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, COVID certainly made its impact known uh, across the sport network. Uh, no doubt the waves and wind will be epic this year. And we're hoping that the event will take place in early spring in 2021. Um, provided it all goes ahead, it'll be the first event of 2021. So, you know, it's going to be a big aspect of the windsurfing calendar. And as we know, Tari offers some of the best wave sailing in the world. Um, fingers crossed for it. Uh, and yes, I have signed up to be part of the BWA judging team. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, a little bit nervous, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping it all goes well. Well, Listen, thanks very much, Robin. That was a great journey you shared with us today. Well done, Ayla and Supergrand, Daw and Kim. What an amazing journey they've had. And Jim, long may it continue. Thanks again for listening. Please hit that subscribe button. Give us a like. Leave us a review. Remember to keep a note of our website and check our social channels for all the latest news and updates.